We're here again on a Wednesday. Today is October 4th, uh, 2023, and we are in Deuteronomy 32, and I believe we left off reading at 26 last week. So um, this is the Song of Moses. Last week was part one. Today is the Song of Moses, part two, and hopefully we'll get through the rest of this chapter. So I want, I'm going to, I'm going to re-read 26. I said I would scatter them into corners. I would make the remembrance of them to cease from among men. 27. Were it not that I feared the wrath of the enemy, lest their adversaries should behave themselves strangely, and lest they, sh they should say, Our hand is high, and the Lord hath not done all this. So, God, you know, of course, uses Gentile nations to punish His people. And, you know, you can go back in history and look at some of the people that he used. And if you think about Rome, uh, Titus was the conqueror that came in and wiped out Jerusalem. And when people tried to give him some glory and some uh, tried to congratulate him on this massive victory, history says that he would accept it. This is Titus, a mean evil leader of Rome who destroyed Jerusalem, but somehow God made it known to him that he shouldn't brag on anything. And that's just if you go back and look at history. Uh, I haven't done it personally, you know, to, to look at it. I've just heard that talked about by other people, that there were... I've even heard about way, way before when Alexander the Great showed up at Jerusalem, that someone came out to him and showed him the book of Daniel, read parts of Daniel to him and said, this is you. And he was so amazed by it that he didn't do what he normally would do to a place when he showed up. Um, so God makes the pagans... The Gentiles, he, 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 somehow he, he can help uh, them understand that it's not their might because God wants them to know that if, if I was with my nation Israel, you wouldn't have a chance. So don't get too big-headed about this victory because I'm the one that's allowing you to get it. And they, and, and they actually understood that. Now there's plenty of others that didn't. You know, they, they wanted to brag about how they were strong and their gods pulled them through and gave them the victory. We have examples of that as well. So I think that's what this is talking about right here um, in this song. 28, For they are a nation void of counsel, neither is there any understanding in them. Uh, that's that's pretty much has to be talking about those same nations that God used. Uh, you know, you might think, is he talking about Israel here? But if you go back 
to the verses we read last week, and you look at 6 and 7, and it, especially 7, it says, Remember the days of old, consider the years of many generations, ask thy father, and he will show thee, thy elders, and they will tell thee. So they had plenty of counsel. The nation of Israel, and that's what's so pitiful about them, is even with all the counsel, with all of their history, they still didn't do things right. They had no excuse. So they were definitely, def, the nation of Israel was not void of counsel. Absolutely not. So I, I think he's still talking about those other nations. All right, I'm going to get down to 33. Uh, let's see, 29. Oh, that... Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. How should one chase a thousand, and two put ten thousand to flight, except their rock, big R rock, had sold them, and the Lord had shut them up? For their rock, that's little r rock, is not as our rock, big R rock, even our enemies themselves being judges. For their vine is of the vine of Sodom and of the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of gall, their clusters are bitter. Their wine is the poison of dragons and the cruel venom of asp. So, that's talking about all those Gentile nations. And, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read out of the Believer's Bible Commentary. It's, it's been sitting on my shelf, and then Lois you know, showed me the one that she got, and it's an older one, and so I grabbed it back off my shelf and put it back in my bag. Uh, and so it's been a while since I've, I've read out of it. Uh, and I think yours was like a 95 edition. So that's, you know, it's been around a little while. Now, the Believer's Bible Commentary, it is actually based on the New King James Bible, but it's, you know, so you'll see when you're reading it, you'll see some words that are different than the King James just because they try to update the words. But overall, it's, it's pretty good. I like it. All right, uh, so I want to read what he says at, uh, now this is going to go back to 21 and goes, it's, it's a very short section. That's the one thing about the Believer's Bible Commentary, especially in Deuteronomy, very short uh, commentary on quite a few of the verses. So, it's, so this is from 21 through 33. After setting Israel aside, God acted in grace toward the Gentiles, seeking to provoke Israel to jealousy, as in the present church age. Israel, in the meantime, would be scattered and persecuted. The people would not be totally destroyed, though, because Jehovah did not want Israel's enemies to misinterpret the nation's downfall. It was not that their enemies rock, that little R rock, was stronger, but that Israel's rock, big R rock, had surrendered them to slaughter because of their wickedness. 
All right. Now, uh, 34. Is not this laid up in store with me and sealed up among my treasures? To me belongeth vengeance and recompense. Their foot shall slide in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things that shall come upon them make haste. For the Lord shall judge his people and repent himself for his servants when he seeth that their power is gone, and there is none shut up or left. And he shall say, Where are their gods, notice little g-gods, their rock, little, little or rock, in whom they trusted, which did eat the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offerings. Let them rise up and help you and be your protection. So it's being sarcastic. You know, it's, you know, you trusted in your gods, you trusted in your little or rock, you know, and now let them protect you. And they never do. They can't. Uh, 39, See now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God with me. I kill and I make alive, I wound and I heal, neither is there any that can deliver out of my hand. For I lift up my hand to heaven and say, I live forever. If I wet my glittering sword, so that would be the process of sharpening, it, and mine hand take hold on judgment, I will render vengeance to mine enemies and will, will reward them that hate me. I will make mine arrows drunk with blood. So that means that uh, many, many arrows are going to you know, draw a lot of blood. And my sword shall devour flesh and that with the blood of the slain and of the captives from the beginning of revenges upon the enemy. Rejoice, O ye nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and will render vengeance to his adversaries and will be merciful unto his land and to his people. All right, now, in my Bible... It, the Schofield, it, it kind of ends with 44, but with this Bible commentary, it's not in, but this, this section of Scripture, there's a little stopping point there, but in the Believer's Bible commentary, it goes to 43. And then 44 starts up a new section. So I'll go ahead and I'm going to read out of this one. Again, this is really, really short. Uh, this section has to do with God's Vengeance upon the nations that were used to punish Israel. Vengeance and vindication. So you see vengeance in, in verse 35. To me belongeth vengeance. And then uh, uh, vindication. So yeah, I don't think it actually says the word, but it's probably New King James word uh, in verse 36. And then... Uh, so, so those things belong to the Lord. He has sworn by himself, for there is no one greater to deal with his adversaries. Notice how completely this judgment will be carried out. So when you look at uh, 41 and 42, it's pretty brutal. Very brutal and very thorough. 
if you look at those two verses, all that, uh, you know, the sharpening of the sword and the arrows becoming drunk with blood. So you, it takes a whole lot of drinking, especially, you know, if you think about in Bible days, drinking wine, uh, you had to drink quite a bit of it to get drunk. You can take a good lesson from the Bible and how to uh, use things to, to draw a picture where people remember it better. That's why the Bible is so amazing where people can retain it. And, you know, especially little kids, uh, small, small children. Uh, I, I like going, studying history of America and, and uh, going back and, you know, reading about little kids, four and five year, year old boys reading the Bible and just and memorizing whole books of the Bible. And it's actually easier with the King James Bible. You know, and, and hardly anybody would tell you that today. But church we used to go to down in Salem, there was a, a woman who was a uh, Bible professor at a, at a Bible college. And she was kind of like a, I don't know, maybe kind of an associate pastor. She never really wanted to be known as a pastor because I don't think she believed in uh, women pastors. But... Um, she uh, was very, very knowledgeable in the Word of God, and she was one of the most amazing teachers. Her name's Debbie, and we see her every now and then around. I don't know what she does now, but uh, very, very good at teaching the Word of God. It's fun, very fun to be around when it comes to learning the Word, and she would she used different versions of the Bible, and we would get in these these little uh, battles amongst each other, and um, you know I, she would say she would read a verse, and I would say, oh, it should say whatever, you know, just to mess with her. And she was like, you know, so she was brilliant. She'd been to Bible college, but uh, when she, when she taught, she was really really into getting people in the church to memorize scripture. So even though she used the different versions of the Bible, when it came to memorization, she always grabbed her King James. And she, she told everybody, when you go to memorize Scripture, you should use the King James. And I went, really? And she just gave me that look, you know. But she knew that the rhyme and rhythm, there was something about the King James that made, she said, you, it, you will memorize this verse quicker by using the King James. That's what, she, that's what she would say. And that's coming from somebody who used several different versions of the Bible. All right, uh, so anyway, uh, in, in 41 and 42, you can see how completely God's judgment will be, how, how thorough it will be. And then it says, uh, as a result, God's people and all the nations are to rejoice because God has avenged himself and made atonement for his land and his people. All right, let's read a few more verses, starting with 44. And Moses came and spake all the words of this song in the ears of the people, he and... 
Hoshea. Is that how you pronounce that? Hoshea. So who is that? The son of Nun. That's Joshua. So this is some ancient Hebrew way of spelling Joshua, evidently. And I don't know if it's, if it's uh, repeated anywhere. But we're here, we've already had two words. You remember what the other one was? I'm pretty sure we read it. But it was another word for the nation of uh, Israel. Huh? Yeah, and we're, what verse is that in? Here it is. It's in 15. Jerusalem. Is that how you say it? So that, so that word in 15, so we have, and now we have uh, Joshua spelt a different way. So there's two different words in this song that would be very, very special to the nation of Israel that Gentiles probably wouldn't pick up on or wouldn't, wouldn't know. And if you don't read your Bible a whole, whole lot, this will catch you off guard because... You don't see this any, in other places. I mean, I didn't go and look and see how many times these words, these names were used in the Bible. I probably should have, but I can't remember of seeing it anywhere else. And if you just read your Bible, and you're not studying your Bible and looking up things, you'll read right by that not even knowing what it means. So that Jesh, Jesh Iran run. So that's basically, a, I don't know if you can call it a nickname, but of, of a people who are upright, which is kind of funny in a way, but we need to pay attention to God's words, what he says, not what we think, right? Because when he uses that word in 15, he's actually saying that his nation is, is an upright people compared to all the other nations. But yet we're seeing where they're falling into idolatry, they're doing all these terrible things, but yet he calls them something that they are not. Now, today, we need to understand that God calls us something that we are not. We are the righteousness of God. But God said that about us. But go and find somebody who will say that about you. Walk up to somebody and say, I am the righteousness of God, and see what kind of look you get. See, only God can say that about you because people know who you are. And that sounds like a totally off-the-wall thing to say. So we, we, we're, we're not going to walk around and just say it to people that because we know we're going to get some looks and it sounds like we're bragging but if we believe on the shed blood of jesus and he's cleansed cleansed us and we are truly born again then we are but it's god calling something that is not he's calling something uh that it is something but really it is not so when I, when I see these things in the Bible, it makes me think of, I, I, always, want to, I always think of Balaam 
And Balaam was not allowed to put a curse on the nation of Israel. And God's excuse was, or God's reasoning, I should say, he doesn't need any excuses, but his reason to Balaam was, no, you can't curse these people because they are a blessed people. So when you're reading that story and you see where God calls the nation of Israel a blessed people, all you got to do is turn back a page or two and you see where the fiery serpents went into the camp and was biting everybody. Everybody was dying. And you're thinking, God, why are you calling them a blessed people? And, and So we need to pay attention to that. He's calling those things that are not as though they were. So when God, how, how, where do you stand in the eyes of God, not in the eyes of the people around you? And if you're in the blood, if you're in Jesus, then you're in a very special place, and you could be doing some things that aren't right, and you're going to be punished for it because you're a child of God. But when the devil says, I look at them, he, see, he, the devil is our accuser, right? He's always accusing us. And if he was to accuse us to other people, other people would say, yep, you're right. But when he does that to God, God says, nope, they're a blessed people. I don't see it. And Satan's scratching his head like, but they're doing bad things. Do something about it. And like, no, they're a blessed people. They're, they're under my protection. But then when Satan's gone, then God might come around and chastise you, and he's really good at doing that. <laughs> really good at doing it. You know, the nation of Israel, after uh, being protected by God, coming through that desert, and Balaam wanting to put a curse on them, and God wouldn't let them, and then Balaam had a sneaky idea of infiltration, and that worked, and that's what the devil does to us. He will infiltrate. He knows he can't outright come and get us, attack us, because we're protected. So he uses that trick that Balaam, that we are, maybe that's why that story just really is in my mind. I mean, it's something that I'm, I'm always thinking about because I know the trick of the devil through that story of Balaam. And he pretends to be a friend, and he sneaks in, and that's the, le that's the leaven being introduced. Um, oh, by the way, uh, that, the word, that leaven is never, ever good in the Bible. Now, there's some parables that Jesus uses in the Gospels, and he talks about the kingdoms like leaven. Well, there's plenty of Christians out there that say, well, see there, you get a little bit of the Word of God in somebody and then it just spreads through them and everything's better in the future. It, they can make a really good today application for it, but they're actually reading it totally wrong. They're interpreting it totally wrong because 11 is never, ever good in the Word of God. Uh, I've had a buddy of mine say, well, there is that one time in Matthew 13 where it's actually good. And I'm like, no, it's not. 
That's talking about what we would call Christendom today, which is all religious stuff on the Christian side of things. And that could be people like the Mormons, the Jehovah Witnesses, the Roman Catholics. They're, they consider themselves Christians. <clears throat> and there's a lot of leaven in that, a lot of bad leaven that makes it taste better. It does, make it, it does make it taste better. You will want it more, but with leaven mixed in. But just a straight up, unleavened Word of God, that is tough. Uh, I don't know if you, what you thought of this past Sunday's message. I don't know if you remember it. We were talking, what, what, what did we do this past Sunday? We, were talk, we, had, we had communion, and I got, I've gotten a lot of responses out of that. A lot of responses. And now I can do a message, and people can respond, and I can have one person may say, well, it was just so much information, and it was just too deep for me, and it just, I just couldn't concentrate on it, and I really couldn't get much out of it. And then, and I can open up my text and, and read it to you, I, that, this past Sunday's message was so good, and you explained it so well, made it so easy to understand, and both of those comments are about the same sermon. What do I do with that? I've had people say, you made it so easy to understand, and the exact same sermon someone else will say, I just, couldn't get, I just get, didn't get it. I, I've had it happen several times, and I'm talking about even jail stuff, you know, being at the jail and teaching at the jail. I've had one guy come up and go, well, you know, I just didn't quite get this, that, and the other. I got some questions, and another guy say, man, this is amazing. You make, you make it, one, one guy, Ricky, he said, uh, you make, he said, it makes me feel like I'm there. The way you explain it and teach it, it, it makes me feel like I'm right there in amongst all the stuff that's happening. I'm like, thank you for saying that. I said, I, I really uh, am happy that you told me that. That really makes me feel good. And, uh, but then you got somebody else will walk right up and say, ah, I, didn't, I couldn't understand it. So, same thing with length of sermon. You know, one person will say, why, didn't, why did you stop? Or, I could have listened for another hour. And then the next person is, that was too long. What do you do with that? What do you do with it? You know, so you just got to be led by the Spirit and do what you feel like you're being led to do and uh, see how that all falls, falls out there. All right, so again, I listen to a lot of different people. I've been talking about the blind movie, and I went to see it, and it was good, but you can get a you, you can be led astray by anything. Um, you're going to see an emphasis on baptism. And there are certain denominations, and the denomination that they came out of 
was Church of Christ. And they are all about baptism. And, and, and really, they won't, say, they won't allow anybody to say that they're really saved until they've been dunked in the water. Completely immersed in the water. And that's when, because of being obedient to the Word of God, that's when you actually get saved. Now that's called baptismal regeneration, which is a false doctrine. You must be completely born again before you do the ritual baptism of being dunked in the water. Now, we may be guilty here of not taking it as serious as we should. And so we, we are going to plan a baptism soon for, and we'll probably, uh, you know, I don't need to go into all the details right now, but I've got a plan for it. So it doesn't matter how cold it is, we'd still be able to do it. Um, and I'm a little concerned about getting in river water anyway nowadays. Too much, heard too many bad things about being in uh, river water or lake water and some uh, satanic bacteria that happens to be in there. <laughs> but anyway, we, we do need to be reminded that the ritual part of baptism, so we do communion. Now, we didn't do communion for a while, and that was bad. We're doing it on a consistent basis now, so we've, we've, gotten, we've got that right. But we do need to talk about being water baptized, and there are people... Now, just from my preaching over the past couple years, there have been people who may have been baptized before they really had a born-again experience, and they just felt led to, to want to be baptized after believing. And that's really important. And they were actually convicted by things that I preached. And I really wasn't concentrating on, on the baptism, but they got that out of it. So I've had people say that to me. Um, so there's been, there's been some examples of people uh, I mean, especially when you think about the, the certain denominations like, like uh, the United Methodists, they sprinkle babies. Uh, the Catholic religion, Catholicism, they sprinkle babies. And, I mean, you can't find that in Scripture. And the message that I did about your standing, uh, how you, by nature you come into the world and you're a sinner because you're a descendant of Adam, well, church people from centuries ago, how do we deal with that? So if that's true, and you're a baby, and you happen to die, then where do you go? Because you were in your sins. You weren't able to believe, because you weren't um, old enough. And you've got to remember, centuries and centuries ago, babies died often. There was a lot of babies dying. We don't have near as many babies dying today. So people came up with this idea of sprinkling them with water and calling it baptism, and that that would preserve them if they died as a baby. That would comfort the congregation who lost a little baby. And so that was their way. So it was a man's idea. Man, somebody thought it up and said, this is what we'll do. We'll wash them. And people who didn't want to believe that because it wasn't in the Bible came up with the age of accountability. Okay, well, it's hard to find that in the Bible, too. 
Now, there are some places where you can go to and say, well, all the people in the world, this story right here, all of the older generation had to pass away completely. And it was anybody who was, was it 20 and older? Some, it was kind of that, that time. So you could say, oh, 20 years old. And you could take that, what the Bible says, and say maybe that's the age of accountability. Or you could maybe say when a person turned 13 in the Jew Jewish uh, way of things, when, when is the, the Jewish bar mitzvah? Is it 12, 13? Okay, so there's some things that you can pull out of the Bible and say, oh, no, it's 13. Now, if there is an age of accountability, I don't think it's a set age. And it's that time when you become accountable, you know you've made a decision or not. You, you, can, you can make a decision. So I know that the baptism, the baby baptism, is definitely not the way to go. And uh, so I think it's more important to teach the little tiny kids about Jesus at a very early age because we don't know for sure. And that, is, that, that issue right there is one reason why we have so many different denominations, just from that issue alone. So Christians have always argued over doctrine, and there are certain doctrine, doctrines that it, it, we may never figure out completely until Jesus comes back to get us. Okay, so leaven, always bad, always. Even though you'll hear a good little Bible teaching on how leaven is good in the Gospels when Jesus talks about it. And you'd have to go way back to find my teaching on that. It's been, I mean, I've, I've taught on it. When we were going through Matthew 13, talking about all the parables of Matthew 13, and um, I explained why leaven is always bad. Okay, uh, but I still highly, re highly recommend the blind movie and uh, take somebody to see it. And then if you have any questions about it, I'd love to hear your questions. And Moses came and spake all the words in this song in the ear. Okay, so that word Hoshia or Hoshia, that, that is Joshua. But it's an ancient Hebrew uh, way of saying it. All right, 45. And Moses made an end of speaking all these words to all Israel. And he said unto them, Set your hearts unto all the words which I testify among you this day, which ye shall command your children to observe to do all the words of this law. All right, we're going to read one more verse, uh, and then I want to read a short section out of the Believer's Bible Commentary. For it is not a vain thing for you, because it is your life, and through this thing ye shall prolong your days in the land, whither ye go over Jordan to possess it. All right, very, very short out of this other commentary. The song thus gives a historical and prophetical outline of the nation of Israel, 
Having read the song, Moses solemnly urged the people to follow the Lord with the words, For it is not a futile thing for you, because it is your life. So the King, you know, the King James is vain, says vain. For it is not a vain thing for you, because it is your life. So the words of God should be our life. It really should. All right, 48, to the end. And the Lord spake unto Moses that selfsame day, saying, Get thee up into this mountain, Abram, unto Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, that is over against Jericho, and behold the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel for a possession. So there's a reason why God wants to get him in this spot. He wants him to look over into the land. He wants him to see what he's not able to go get. Fifty. <laughs> and die in the mount whither thou goest up, and be gathered unto thy people as Aaron thy brother died in Mount Hor, and was gathered unto his people. So when they died back then, they were gathered to their people. So he, they went to a place where their forefathers were. Now, I believe that's Abraham's bosom is where they went to, as far as their souls at this time. Now, their bodies would go into the family graveyard. The, the, there would have been a tomb, and it didn't always happen that way. Just, just, you, know, you can remember Joseph being down in Egypt, and it was, he wanted the people to carry his bones to where they were going so that he could be buried in that promised land. And, and that's, you know, if we ever get to that part, I believe that's 20, uh, verse 22 of uh, Hebrews 11. So we got a long way to go before we get to that story and on Sunday, especially with all these other things that are coming up. But that was something that was very, very important to the Hebrew nation, that they would preserve bodies. That's where, that's where all the spices and the ointments and all the things that they they prepped the body before burial and wrapped it up really, really good. It ended up seeing corruption anyway, but they knew that that body was going to be raised up one day. So I think that was very interesting. They would preserve the body as much as they could. Okay, so their bodies would be placed with some of their ancestors as well, but I think their souls went down to a place, a holding place, that was waiting for the shed blood of Jesus one day, which was a long, long ways away for these people right here, uh, for Moses and Aaron. 51, because ye trespassed against me among the children of Israel at the waters of Meribah, Kadesh. Now, you know, I mentioned it last week or the week before, we were talking how he hit the rock, okay? He, wasn't supposed to, he was supposed to speak to it the second time. But it's not giving the Lord credit is the real sin there. <clears throat> In the wilderness of sin, because ye sanctified me not 
in the midst of the children of Israel. Yet thou shalt see the land before thee, but thou shalt not go thither unto the land which I give the children of Israel. So that's as he's speaking directly to Moses. And Moses has to turn over his lead, leadership role to Joshua. And that's, what this, that's what's uh, happening right here. Joshua has been, he's always been there. He's, he's the really, really good one, the faithful one, the one who had a strong belief in his God that, that, that uh, the promised land was for them. They were going to have victory there. No matter what his human eyes saw, he still believed God over what he saw with his human eyes. And that is critical that we understand that. Okay, the la- I'm going to read the last little bit out of this. Uh, another very short thing. It says, Then the Lord called Moses to the top of Mount Nebo, where he would be allowed to see the land. He would not be allowed to enter Canaan because of his sin at Meribah, Kadesh, but would die on Mount Nebo and be buried in a, in a valley of, in Moab. So, you know, no one knows where his body is. The devil wanted Moses' body. Why would he want Moses' body? And if you read the context of, if, you know, if you want to uh, read about that, in his context, it's a little weird, but there was uh, an archangel that was protecting the body of Moses. So maybe that angel was the one who did the burying, but God buried Moses. And no one, no person knew where he was buried. That concludes the Song of Moses. That's the end of chapter 32. We just got two more chapters to go and we'll be finished up with Deuteronomy. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for this wonderful uh, book of Deuteronomy. And Father, we have seen some amazing things throughout this book so far. And Father, I just pray that our our, uh, spirits will just pick up on the significance of what this story is talking about. And Father, how we can apply it to our lives today by understanding that your words, Father, your your wonderful, perfect law is able to point us in the right direction. Even though it can't save us, it gets us pointed in the direction of our Savior. We learn about Jesus and all the things that he has done for us and father we just want to be able to go into our promised land which is the kingdom that you have offered to those who believe on your son that he is born of a virgin sinless in this life on this earth nailed to a cross blood shed for us we are cleansed that he, raised, he was raised from the dead, and Father, we likewise should be raised with him.
to walk in newness of life. Father, thank you for your wonderful word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.